what do you get when you have a Christian Grace Baptist Church member, husband, father, music leader, fisherman, hunter, and American history teacher extraordinaire? You get our special guest, which will be joining us today on this episode of Stop and Think About It. Hello? Hello, anybody home? I'm Think McFly, think. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. What were you thinking? I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Don't say anything now. Just think about it. You're listening to Stop and Think About It, a podcast for the Christian thinker. In a day when sound biblical preaching has been replaced by man-centered entertainment, and the church has become increasingly anti-intellectual, this podcast will encourage believers to think biblically and theologically. So please join me as we get ready to stop and think about it. Greetings, friends and foes, saints and sinners. Welcome to another episode of the Stop and Think About It podcast. In our last episode, we looked at Christianity, politics, and voting, and we discussed the big picture of why we need to vote, how to vote with a biblical worldview, and we looked at the majors or the essentials, the moral issues versus minors, less essential issues, but they were still important. And today we have Glenn, our West Indian wordsmith, myself, Phil, the Bronx expositor, and we are dialoguing with the Christian GBC member, husband, father, music leader, fisherman, hunter, and American history teacher extraordinaire, Dylan McKeon. Say hello, Dylan McKeon. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. So excited to be here. And, and Phil, just because Dylan has such so many titles, I want to be called the uh, West Indian American West Smith. <laughs> oh, right, we can work that in. I think we can do that. And so we're looking to tackle uh, part two of Christianity, politics, and voting and dialoguing with you, Dylan, today on these crucial issues, especially as we move closer and closer and closer to the election day. But just as an aside, all right, who saw last night's vice presidential debate? I did. <laughs> I, saw, I saw as little of it as I could. As little of it as you could. All right. Glenn, what did you think about the little that you saw? You know, I thought I thought one side was very substantive, had had facts ready. Um, it was very similar to the last debate where it was a little um, divisive and a little argumentative, but um, on the whole, a lot more civil. And you know, I I I, I liked it, but I, I still am not a fan of the format where you you need. I think they need more time to rebut. I think it, it should be more emphasis on letting the speakers speak what they want to talk about, as opposed to being forced in and hemmed in by these questions that may or may not be important to the listener. Yeah. Yeah. I would say it seems like they have like 20 issues that they want to hit. And so everything is like soundbite politics. Mm. You know, they, they want to hit so many issues and it's kind of like when you look at an iceberg, you just see, you know, 10% of it above the water and 90% of it below. And it just seems like there's a lot of stuff that they're just getting to the surface on and they can't ever dive down. Uh, you know, and sink their teeth into some really good stuff. Yeah. So I thought that vice president Pence was extremely smooth. He, uh, he's a smooth operator. I thought he's extremely presidential more so than, than our president. But, uh, stop, uh, that. You know. stop that. <laughs> but um, president Trump's a, f a firecracker for sure. But uh, I mean, that's why they make a team together. You know, you need that balance there. Dylan, what did you think? Well, I like that. Uh, first of all, it, it wasn't just a slew of interruptions. It was like I could actually sit and listen to it. But uh, I like that each candidate tried to hold the other one to answering some of the questions instead of going off on a tangent and never actually getting to answer a question. So definitely appreciated that. I did think they kind of came together in, in their stance on uh, being a little more hawkish towards China, but yeah, I do agree with you. I think I think Pence is like his his character and the way he carries himself is a little more pre definitely more presidential. And I think that uh, each candidate, to a degree, was a little bombastic and exaggerated in 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 some of the things they said. But um, I know, like the right away, the media was really trying to fact check both of them and came came critiquing them to a degree. But uh, I, yeah, I mean, I think Pence held Camille Harris to answering some of those questions that, you know, that 
she tried to avoid. Yeah. Yeah. So just one more on this. What do you think for you was the most important issue that they raised? I think Pence did a good job of saying, hey, with the with the information that we had, I think we, we did a we did a good job of handling it. And I think uh, Kamala did a good job for her base in terms of saying, hey, it's the worst. A lot of people died. There is no good job. And you did a really, really bad job in in our estimation. And I think if you on if you're on the side that, hey, um, the, the Trump-Pence team could have did more, you're going to be solidified by what she said. And if you're more realistic, in my opinion, you're going to say, hey, you know, we got to go back to what the original estimations were. I think that was a, a powerful thing. I think the second thing real quick is that the, 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 the contrast between, I thought it was very strange that Kamala was trying to kind of reinvent the Obama <laughs> history and take credit for that. While also Pence was trying to like use the Obama legacy against um, Biden, it was just a surreal kind of environment because we all know that the vice president doesn't really have a lot to do with either thing. But I, but I, but I, but I did think it was it was a successful um, attempt to kind of bring some clarity. Uh, the most powerful thing was when he mentioned that Biden did not want to attack Osama bin Laden while now criticizing Trump for acting against uh, a foreign world leader. I thought that was a very big contrast. I think that was Soleimani, yeah. right? So, so, so Soleimani was the one that they attacked, but Saddam was the one that when he was vice president, he chose, He they voted on it and he said no. And Obama said, yes, I'm going to do it. Right, right, right. right. Uh, I think for yeah. me, the most powerful moment was when uh, Pence asked if the Democrats planned to pack the Supreme Court to pack SCOTUS. And it was a question that she avoided to answer, which basically meant, do you plan on adding two or more new seats to the Supreme Court, you know, in addition to the nine? And do you plan on filling them with, with liberal, liberal uh, Supreme Court justices? And so, uh, you know, with, which would be in violation of the Constitution, essentially. I thought she, she yeah. avoided that one, which is pretty telling. But just to clarify, it's not against the Constitution if they're able to get an amendment to allow yeah but to get changed. an amendment you would need right. um a, a super majority in the house yeah. and you would also <laughs> need three-fourths of states to do that and i don't, I don't yeah correct correct yeah that's not just a cakewalk you know my favorite line was and penn said it twice and the first time he said it i think kamala harris said like like that was a good line he said you're entitled to your own f opinions you're not entitled to your own facts I thought that was kind of a powerful line, you know. That's a that's think, actually a Pelosi line. Oof. Is it? That's Ooh. what made it powerful. <laughs> they used they used it back on her. That's original in her? Yeah, actually the original person for that was Daniel Patrick Moynihan. He he yeah. came up with that phrase. It's like a twist on it. There you go, <laughs> knowing your stuff once again. That's why you are the West Indian wordsmith <laughs> and we are not. So Dylan, um, how did you come to Christ? If you can give us like the, the one minute, 30 second version. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I grew up Roman Catholic, um, like Irish, Italian Catholic in Queens, New York. And wait, an Irish, Italian Catholic. I've never heard it on this wise. <laughs> the rare, the rare Irish, Italian Catholic. Oh my goodness. Uh, and, but we were, we were nominal, you know, kind of only going during holidays. Um, only one dad's feeling guilty. Mom's feeling, you know, or feeling guilty about something. And um, we were recommended to come to North Shore Baptist Church back when I was like 12 years old. And my parents started going, we started going, and really felt uh, very loved and very like welcomed there. And me, generally, I was just kind of like a, a very polite, like young kid, thinking generally that like my politeness and my manners and me being a good person will like give, make me right with God. Fast forward to like high school, I started to become pretty rebellious to my parents and, you know, really just living for the weekends, living for the party and uh, trying to chase after as many girls as I could, you know, just trying to be popular. And the Lord showed, but I was also at the same time kind of living this double life because I would go into church on Sundays and being a part of the youth group. And so the Lord showed me that there really is no middle, you know, you're either in the kingdom or you're not. And if you're not, you're, you are hell bound. And you're in, you're in the kingdom of your father, the devil. 
And so uh, it was there I, in, I went, I went to like a conference uh, and heard a sermon in South Carolina. And that's where the Lord, that's when the Lord saved me. Amen. Amen. So you're a history teacher, American history. What grades do you teach? Uh, I spent uh, about seven years teaching uh, fifth grade history, kind of like the history of the Western Hemisphere as a whole. And, and then I uh, I now teach seniors and I teach government and economics in Brooklyn. Before we jump forward, how challenging is it to do that as a Christian? Really good question. Uh, it's really challenging because uh, I'm constantly... Uh, you have basically my school environments uh, in New York City in kind of like a woke school, so to speak. And so I constantly, like I was just telling some one of my one of my school administrators, hey, I'm going to be on a podcast talking about the Christian perspective on voting. And I think I have a unique perspective because uh, I, I am like working in that environment. Uh, and so I'm not completely like have like conservative, you know, blinders on, so to speak. But I also have a biblical worldview on things. And so I think I do like see that as a unique perspective. And oftentimes I get my students to ask me what I think. Like I ask questions to get them to ask me what I think, and then I'm ready to share what my views are on an issue or on an election, things like that. Yeah, Dylan, I consider you the most liberal conservative I know, libertarian. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I, I think that's good practice, you know, myself as a teacher too, you know, that, Kids want to hear what the teacher thinks about things. And listen, every teacher shares what they think about things. I, I don't know any teacher that really, you know, well, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't talk about that. I mean, maybe it might be here and there, but I mean, every teacher, you're going to get a vibe of like where they stand on things from what they say. And I mean, to even be able to have an impact on students and to get them passionate about the things you're talking about you have to show that passion yourself. You can't just kind of be, I'm this ambiguous middle ground. I mean, you might be on middle ground on some issues, but you can't just be ambiguous. That doesn't inspire anyone. And and and, and before and before we jump again, so I'm going to do some debate rules like they did for the vice presidential debate. In 30 seconds, can you just kind of like explain what this this echo chamber thing, because I'm guilty of that. I'm I'm always about conservatives. I'm always around people who are kind of in the same frame and we kind of echo each other. Like what's the danger of that? Because you're kind of in the the middle of the thicket and you kind of can't go all the way. You kind of have to always be in the middle to kind of let people understand what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, and if during this time I have a fly fly in my head, uh, you just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> it would clearly be seen on that head. <laughs> really good question, Glenn. So a lot of people, and I did a survey for my students too, uh, a lot of people get their news on social media. And uh, social media, basically the design for social media, whether you're you know, on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, it's designed to keep you on there as long as possible. That's what it's designed to do. It's not designed to give you different perspectives. And so there's an algorithm that basically... Uh, only shows you what you want to see. So think of like your Netflix, for example. Your Netflix, you know, on your queue, uh, only really shows you what it thinks you're interested in. And it's the same thing for the algorithm on your newsfeed. It only is going to show you what it thinks you're interested in. And it's going to filter out things that it thinks you're not interested in. So there's actually a really good TED Talk called the filter, like beware the filter bubble. You should, you should take a second to watch it. Um, and so basically you are caught in this echo chamber that only shows you what you it thinks you agree with or what it thinks you believe in. And you need to be a little more proactive in how you get your news to look at both sides of things. Otherwise, you are just hearing what it thinks you agree with. Well, Dylan, I thought you brought up something important, and I think this is very important. Um, you and I are both teachers. We both teach in the... Um, well, you teach in a charter school system. I teach in the public school system. But, you know, for all intents and purposes, we're kind of getting the same kids, I would guess, from maybe the same zip codes. But um, I think real education is when you teach kids not just what to think, but how to think. So they can take two opposing views 
and like, you know, juggle it around and say, okay, you know, what do you think? There's, there's evolution, there's creation, there's conservative things, there's liberal things. And, you know, you're looking at both sides uh, of an issue. And I remember one time I had a discussion with a student around when uh, Trump was first uh, running for president. And, you know, the students asked me, you know, who, who are you voting for? And da, da, da. And, and um, I said, um, I think I'm voting for the winner. <laughs> no, I actually, it was after the election. So I said, I voted for the winner. And they were like, what? And, you know, how could you? And I said, all right, tell me what you, what policies concerning Hillary Clinton that you thought were better than Trump's policies. And they were like, Trump this and Trump that. And I said, hang on. I said, what did she do that's wrong? Everybody said, you asked her about Hillary's views and policies, and all she did was attack President Trump. So like that, was it echo chamber that you just mentioned? It was just, I I use the phraseology, cultural parrot. So somebody Mm -hmm. just kind of goes with the talking points that they've been fed and they're not actually able to dialogue like with good discussion. I mean, you don't have to agree at the end of the day, but at least you can have some kind of discussion. You know what I mean? Um, I think there was a, um, a pro- I forget what the name is, a campus reform or something like that. And they, they went out before the State of the Union and they asked them, what did you think of the State of the Union? Oh, Trump is a, is a, a tyrant. He's a bully. I thought he was he couldn't speak well. And they just went on and on and on. It hadn't happened yet. It was it was the, the following night. And it was just like um, they were ready with answers without actually even seeing a moment of it. And only one person had the temerity. I'm sure they interviewed other people, but on the video, only one person had the temerity to say, oh, I, I didn't see it. Everyone else had an opinion that they were espousing that was negative because they are already within that echo or, the, or, or what you refer to, Phil. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny because sometimes if you ask people on the street, you know, um, I remember I, I was watching a. Uh, w- one show and he would go out on the street and he said, what do you think about John Bon Jovi for vice president? You think he's going to do a good job? They're like, yeah, you know, I, I think he's going to really hang in there. And they're just, they're throwing names, names of dead people as well. You know? <laughs> and like nobody knew the difference really. It was just, I mean, it was just so comical, but it just shows us sometimes where we're at. I mean, of course that's not everybody, you know, per se, but I mean, <laughs> come on. <laughs> um, it takes that extra step to actually do some digging. And I think most people are not willing to take that step. Um, they want to kind of be like fast food, junk food fed. I mean, most people, they don't even read the articles. They just look at the headline or it's like a meme, like a meme will pop up on the internet and that's what they believe. So last time Glenroy and I were looking at different issues um, concerning politics and voting and so we were looking at major issues or moral issues, uh, essential things versus things that were less essential, although not that they're unimportant. I mean, they are important, but we chose the issues of abortion, uh, sexual identity, marriage and law and order. Um, and then there was a host of other issues that we spoke about. So what would be your top one, Dylan? Maybe your top one or two. I th- I definitely believe that my top issue has to be the issue of abortion in our nation, mainly because I I think it's like, without sounding insensitive, I think it's like the slavery issue of our day. You know, it is literally, but, but it's, it's life and death. Um, and so that would be probably the number one issue for me. And then probably after that, the major issue would be, gender issues and sexual identity. Yeah. Just, yeah. just because uh, I just think it's unbiblical. There's even some issues probably that impact me directly a little more, um, but on a national level, right? On the federal level. Like I, if you are a, a believer and you know you believe that life starts at conception, it really is like the, the, the most important issue. And I even wish our, our, our current candidates who even support the issue, I think they could do more about that. You know? and, and I think yeah. I think it's important. Yeah. Once again, just to say it again a couple more times, we're not saying there is no other issue that's important. But 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 we're speaking from a position of a Christian as a biblical perspective. And 
I, I don't think that I want to necessarily tell you what you should think about from an immigration standpoint. I want to focus on the things that I, we can agree on in broad strokes. And I think those yeah. are the major things. Without After those things are, co- are, are, are covered, then we can debate back and forth about you know what what are the issues we we can um then that are important to you personally so what would you say to people and i've i've had people say this to me uh you're just a a one issue voter you're only voting on on based on one issue what would you say to those I, people i would say every single person should be a one issue voter it should be a dylan voter uh a phil <laughs> voter a glenn voter i i think at <laughs> I, I think everyone is a, a one issue voter. It's it's just that that one issue is like the all com- all encompassing thing for everything else. If it's if it's if it's uh, economy, the reason why it's important to you has a lot to do with your overall life. Um, I, I I don't think it matters why. I think I think we spend too many t- too much times discouraging people from voting when we should be encouraging them. I I think a well informed voter is very very important. But I, I, I would rather you vote for one issue than to not vote for because of a many different issues. I think it, it's, it's important to, 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 to vote more than it is to do it perfectly. I would peel back the onion on their question. My focus would be to get beneath their question and ask them, you know, by what standards do they make judgments on, on things? And so depending on their moral compass, we'll, de- we'll kind of speak to what's important to them. And therefore, since we have a biblical uh, compass, since we have a biblical worldview, the things that are most important to us should be the things that are most important to the one who created us. And so for me to come along and say, that this issue over here, plastic straws versus paper straws, um, is more important than life in the womb. I mean, it goes back to what's my moral compass? Is it paper and plastic or is it flesh and bones? I mean, that's, that's a bigger issue. And so I would challenge and I would like, I would, I would try to stretch out what they're actually saying and get down to the nitty gritty and, and pull it in this direction, because that's really the, 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 there's a bigger thing behind what they're saying. And I don't even think that they would realize it by saying you're a one issue voter. And, and I think there's a very pigeonholed mentality, um, even in the way that they frame the question. So I would reframe the question and then I would probably ask them in the context of reframing the question, you know, uh, how, they base their voting on what standard and, and, and phil i like the way you're going with this and i think fundamentally to the way to answer i think all three of us kind of are getting at is do they i don't think they understand what the government is i don't think they understand what the purpose of a government is and we, yes. we have someone here who kind of deals with that on a daily basis and and so phil i guess that's the question is like what is a government or or, or, or or why does it matter that we vote you know those those are the kind of questions that would make that one issue thing kind of irrelevant, right? Yeah, I would agree because if you don't know the purpose of a thing, then you're bound to misuse that. So, I mean, I could put a nail in a piece of wood with a wrench, but it's just the wrong tool. And so I, I have to know the purpose for the tool that I'm using. And so, uh, Dylan, what would you say? What's the purpose of government? <laughs> so, right, an American answer would be that's the uh, only answer the that's the only answer <laughs> well, there's, I think there's a biblical answer and then there's an, a, a kind of like a canned american answer and the american answer is the government exists to secure the rights of uh you know freedom equality you know life liberty and the pursuit of happiness um the problem with that is that people will define rights in different ways. People mean very different things by those words. Is, is it the right to marry who you want, or marriage equality? Is it the right to do with uh, what you believe is your body the way you want it, the right to an abortion? So depending upon uh, which God you serve or basically your core identity, your core beliefs, you will have very different definition of rights. And that's the, that is the conflict that we have in our nation now. But really the biblical definition of what a government is designed for is the government is designed to administer justice and 
to to make peace, to keep the peace. Right? It says in 2 Samuel chapter 8 that David reigned over all Israel and David reigned, uh, David administered justice and righteousness to all his people. And Proverbs 29 says, by justice, a king builds up a land. And so it is basically the government's job to make sure that people who are, are wicked, right, are punished. And it is the government's job to make sure that, you know, innocent people are not, uh, I mean, well, there's no, no innocent people truly, but that uh, image bearers of God, which is all, all people, that uh, they, are, they are safe and that there's justice happening. Yeah. And, and, and I think last podcast, I kind of harped on this first Timothy two, one that, you know, the, the phrase that, that we may live peaceably. That's, that's the ultimate Christian goal. One, like you said, all the things you mentioned, but also that we can evangelize freely. Like that's the, that's the goal from, I think from a, from a Christian biblical perspective, everything else is like, is it uncomfortable? Is it, is it unreasonable? Yeah. But I want to be able to live peaceably. I want to be able to evangelize and, and and worship my God freely and to tell other people about my God freely. And I think what you were saying before, Dylan, when you said, you know, when we look at our founding documents, when it says life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, I mean, just think, j- just the word life. As a country, we're torn over what life is. Mm. What is life? What what does it mean to, what does it mean to be human? I mean, the the first word we're grappling over the very first word, right? <laughs> liberty. Uh, uh, what does liberty mean? Does liberty mean I could do whatever I want? I could say whatever I want. I could dress or undress, you know, in any way I want to. Um, and pursuing happiness. What what is what does that even mean? You know, is happiness you know in the heart of the beholder? So I mean, even the words, you know, themselves, and that's why it's important to have a biblical world worldview about all things, including government, because we need to have a moral standard by which we go by. So we have a moral standard for life. We're image bearers of God. Every single person on the face of the earth has value because they're image bearers of God. And I have no right to take someone's life. Uh, I'm not talking about self-defense. I'm talking about murder. I have no right to take someone's life uh, who's an image bearer of God. It's not like stepping on an ant. you know, this is a person. And, and, and God says that clearly, right? In Genesis, when, you know, he's, he's to keep the Cain's from killing the Abel's, right? Post fall, post flood, you know, he, he issues his edict that, you know, you are not to shed the blood. And so um, he's, he's protecting humans and be, because humans are depraved and without, without that law and order, without the law and order of government, like I'm convinced that people will uh, harm other people with impunity. We're not good by nature. I mean, I just read, I was telling Phil earlier about the Herod massacre where there was no law and order and uh, non-union workers were slaughtered by union laborers just because, and they, they thought they were fully justified in doing it because they were taking their jobs. And that's human depravity right there. And without law and order, uh, without the government stepping in, that kind of thing will happen. It will happen today too. For for the for the benefit of the listeners, I, I want to really get you know your expertise in this, um, in terms of for the purpose of voting. I think a lot of people, you know, this, in this American experiment, are kind of confused about the roles of national and local government. We kind of even even when we did the podcast before, we kind of focused on national stuff, and 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 I think the American experiment is really on local government. That was the whole point: is that you want to be able to walk over to your local office and you know kind of dialogue with with the, with the local guy who's who's fixing your roads and, and making sure you uh the, the street light work um and i think the american experiment today is failing because people don't realize they're only focused on the presidency they're only focused on the senator and they don't realize that this government is a behemoth and it only works if we focus it on on a local level. I, I don't want to pontificate, so, but I, I speak to that. I think I think that's something that's going to really yeah. help us. Dylan, tell us how to make uh, paving streets <laughs> great again. <laughs> hey man, I've hit some major potholes driving up to the Bronx, <laughs> and uh, I ate my car up. So I feel like those streets looking good. Um, you know, I, I I I'll get into that in a second. But I mean, it really goes back to Glenn what you said about the reason why our government, we want to vote for someone who is, will uphold justice, who is wise, 
we want a good leader, good leaders, because we want uh, strong foundations to preach the gospel. And that's the whole point. That's why you know that's God's unraveling of history. His whole plan is is so that people would come to know Him and, and be saved. And so we we don't want a government that claims that they are going to be you know the ones that will redeem people and that will will um, you know be the solution to all people's problems. Um, but we want a government that views itself. Um, as kind of a prerequisite for for the redemption of citizens, right? It will create good foundations uh, so that people will be able to come to know the Lord. We want, like you said in, in First Timothy, uh, to to live peaceably so that we can go preach the gospel. Amen. And and in lots of ways, right? Our our, our big issue of abortion that's that is really a federal level, right? It also has to do with states for sure, but it has it has to be handled federally. But other things like that might impact your life uh, to a great degree happen on a local level. So it's often like the local and state officials who step in and make uh, changes to impact your everyday life. So it's like the people on the board of, ele- of education that could fight for more funding and advocate for teachers and students during the pandemic times. Or it's like your city council members who make decisions about where local money goes. And it's important that you attend those public hearings um, or town halls of those city council members that make decisions that could like help or hurt you. It's like the local judges that that are not just the Supreme Court judges, the local judges that creates really slanted partisan decisions uh, and they set precedent for how similar cases are decided for even years to come. You know, it is it is these like, and it's certainly like the mayors and the governors, right? Like, and and the congressmen, and uh, like those become the electors that will eventually elect the president, right? It's it, they are part of, they are basically part of that 538 electors that officially determine the next president in the electoral college. Now, 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 before we jump to electoral college, I, I just wanted to to piggyback on what you're saying. It's like a lot of people think, well. My neighborhood's doing great. Economy's going wonderful. President Trump, you know, oh, you know, no jobs. It's it's run down. No opportunities. President Trump. No, your local officials make a big difference. Are they creating incentives? Are they are they wooing business owners? Are they are, are they are they revitalizing the community? Are they helping to to clean the streets? Are they making it um, a, a business friendly thing? For one, one thing, locally that New York City was doing is they made a big push to be the movie capital, like the second movie capital. They were they gave exemptions and tax exemptions and all kind of benefits for movie studios to to film here. You know, your local government can create jobs by doing that. The president really doesn't have a lot of effect on whether New York City is does movies or it's a tourist location. Right. And so we have a lot. I think it's just an empowering thing to vote. I think people think it's in disempowering. Oh, it's the president is doing whatever. I can't do anything. No, you can, by voting for your local guy, change the the whole complexion of your neighborhood. You know, and and and, and that I think is one of the things that you're speaking well on and, and making a great point about why voting is a powerful thing, especially if you do it on a local I mean, level. even, uh, and this is kind of a plug for, I'm not, I don't think it's too late, but if this is kind of a plug for taking the census, because the census determines uh, funding for your district. And it also, you know, every 10 years they take a census, uh, they also redraw voting lines. They redraw the district lines, uh, which definitely impacts how many, you know, how many votes go to those electors and who will kind of dominate that vote? Will it be, um, you know, a left or, or right wing thing? So so, so a, a quick example of that, not to, to run too long, is Baltimore. Uh, President Trump went there and said it's rat infested. It was this big controversy. And I came to find out in the process of that, because, you know, you kind of, oh, let me read about it. Let me read some articles. Find out that Baltimore, that the 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 congressman who was particular uh, a part of that i forgot his name now who passed away so i don't want to impugn his name but there was a very rich area and a very poor area and they re- because of the census because of how they drew the district he was able to claim all these economic successes because it was a very wealthy rich area within his hmm. district so it makes a big difference so there was one area completely destitute 
where the president and other people refer to it as, as, as rat infested. And then a little zip code down was an area was very wealthy, very rich. And so he can go there and say, look, my neighborhood, my, my, my district is wonderful. Now, if you do a census and you redistribute that and you redo the zoning, maybe now you can kind of really help that neighborhood because it looks great on paper, but it's not great on paper. So all these things matter, I think, in the, in the long run. And we don't expect now we elect um, a republic where we have people who deal with that. I don't expect you to now be on a day to day figuring out the potholes. But that's why you vote for someone to represent right. you. And if we're not voting, then you're not being represented. And the thing is also, like, I used to complain and feel, oh, you know, I don't feel very well represented. I don't feel represented by either candidate for, like, a presidential election. But, like, you know who who, who I do feel represented by? Like, you know, the local person that is running for an election. You know, they grew up where I grew up. They live where I live. They're more readily available, right, to have a conversation. Like, you could write a letter to, you know, the senators and elected officials that you uh, are running for, but, you know, are they actually getting a chance to read those? But the, your local officials uh, most likely are. Uh, they're more ready to hear your concerns and they're more ready to represent you better when it comes uh, to decisions that directly impact like your community, your place where you live. We have uh, a retired high school government teacher of 21 years. And he also, I believe, was a NYPD as well. And he's running against the basically socialist um, AOC. And so, you know, knowing who's who at the local level, I agree with you, is important. But I also believe that many people don't think about the local level. And why do you think that is, Dylan? Uh, I think it's just not as highly advertised, right? Like everyone knows for a year ahead of time when the presidential election is coming and people think it, it does make a bigger impact on their life. So it's, it's part of like almost like disenfranchisement where people are not really well informed, but also, you know, it's their responsibility as well to become more well informed. Uh, and to, to that end, I want to do my second plug or third plug. I'm not sure. I lost, I lost count. Um, there's two really good resources. One is called vote.org. Um, so it gives you election day reminders and then also uh, Ballotpedia will basically tell you, like you just enter in your address and it will tell you what your ballot will look like. So you see who is on your ballot, who's running against who, and you can do a little more research on what their policies are. Very good. Very good. And, you know, just as uh, illustration, Dylan, I mean, what you just said almost sounds like that algorithm, you know, that we were speaking about before, you know, uh, in, in the sense of, you know, you, you go here and and it just it pushes you like one direction um, concerning the things that you would have looked for. And it just gives you what you want, but you don't hear anything opposing. And so on the media, I mean, if all you do is watch a particular news channel, then, you know, this person's either great yeah. or they're horrible. And you're never hearing an opposing side and then not able to kind of weigh the issues one for another and everything is back to identity politics and you have to vote a certain way because you know, like Glenn Roy, he has to vote for Biden, right? Because last I, I checked, I, I ain't black. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, if Glenn doesn't vote for Biden, he ain't black. <laughs> right. But you know, but that's okay. Uh, he gets a pass for saying that, you know, it just, a. a you know, made people say, oh, it's it's a joke. But if somebody else would have said that, that's it. They would have got taken to the woodshed. <laughs> and also, uh, it's really important to note that uh, as Christians, even, you know, we trust in the Lord to, because he is sovereign, but also we do and we should get involved in, in local politics. Otherwise, it will be dominated by, by liberals or just people who don't have a biblical worldview. And so, you know, when you think of the term activist, right, most people think, uh, I, I know I associate it with liberal left-wing politics and, and not necessarily with Christians. And so as Christians, I'm not saying your life should be dominated by politics and activism, but you should be going to town halls. You should be learning what your, your officials and your local officials, what they stand for, what they believe and what their policies are. Otherwise, we're going to be ignorant. And we don't want to be ignorant at all. Uh, we want to we want to vote, right? Your vote's important, but your informed vote is really important. 
and and a big and a great example of that was the Tea Party, which was a grassroots move, grassroots movement. And with their with their momentum, they it was the one of the biggest transfers from Republican to, to from Democrat to Republican that have, happened from dog catcher all the way up to Supreme Court to to local courts because they pushed and pushed and pushed. They got all these candidates in there that that reflected their values. You know, it's a success story because. Th- that was grassroots. It wasn't from a, a top-down politician, but from local people who were kind of fed up with the the, the Affordable Care Act, and they just kind of pushed it. And now there are hundreds and thousands of local uh, and state officials who are Tea Party people who said, you know, hey, we're here to represent these people. Now, if you don't like the Tea Party, do it on your own for whatever other issue it is is important to you. But it works. It is how it's drawn up. And um, Glenn, you, all this talk about a third party, you're getting me all uh, all excited over here, man. I, you know how <laughs> you know how I feel about that. <laughs> no, no, tea, tea, party, tea Party was still the Republican Party. <laughs> so, now what about the last election? Um, many people said, you know, Hillary should have won that e- election and she should be president because she received more votes um, than President Trump did. So h- how would you speak to that? Uh, yeah, well, that's not necessarily the way our government works uh, as outlined by the Constitution. If we were just running off of a pure, you know, popular vote, then Hillary would have won and also Gore would have won in 2000. Um, but our, our system's not designed that way. And I, I'm very thankful that our sister our system is not designed that way. You know, we use the Electoral College, which uh, is, is not based off of just pure popular vote, but uh, each state has two senators and there are representatives in the House that are based on populations. So there are generally these people called electors made up of senators and, and representatives. Um, there's 538 of them. And they officially determine the next president and that president needs 207 to secure 270 of them to, uh, to actually win. I'm thankful for it because if it was a pure popular vote, who would be, uh, who would have the most political sway? Uh, most of the people in the cities, cause it's usually more heavily populated. Yeah. Liberals and liberals would only campaign and everybody would only campaign in the major cities. That's right. Joe, States. Uh, Joe Farmer, you know, in like Wisconsin somewhere, you know, no one would care about their thoughts at all. Not at all. I, I consider the popular vote, I call it the, the mean girls uh, method. <laughs> you know, you get, you get, yeah. you get, you get, you get a, a vocal majority to just like oppress the minority. It, 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 it goes both ways, yeah. you know, you could like Nazi Germany. Don't like, I, I know everyone brings it up. But that was a majority that decided, hey, these other groups, let's kill them all. They, they're not worth it. That was a majority of people who kind of attacked the minority. You have to have protections for the minority, just like how there might be maybe more Muslim, more Christians and Muslims. I, I believe that even though you know we think they're on the wrong path, that they shouldn't be summarily killed or, or, or kicked out of the country because they have a different faith. And so that's the protection. And I think to forego that pro- pro- uh, protection for the mob rule, that's the other name for it, is a dangerous thing. I mean, I think the majority should have some say, but it shouldn't have so much say that you can't have an alternative mind. You know, they they usually, there's a saying that goes, a pure democracy is like two wolves and a lamb voting on what's for dinner. Uh, <laughs> the lamb? <laughs> the lamb. <laughs> I'd, I'd vote the lamb. Uh, so what would you say to people who say, well, it, because of the electoral college, you know, only the swing states matter. I think once again, I think I want to go the way Phil did it. it. They're looking at it from a wrong tact. It's not so much that only the swing states matter. It's that the majority of people, the the states that are that are not swing states, have already made up their minds. And that's the beauty of politics: is that they've already said, "Hey, this is what I want." The swing states say, "Hey, you know, hey, I can be per- persuaded." They are the ones that really matter because if you have uh, five kids, right, and three want four want ice cream, and the fifth one doesn't know what he want. Like, you, you know, it 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 really makes it it it's it's not it's not a failing of the system. It's actually a system working the way it's supposed to be, because once again, and I think Trump had a great answer to that, saying, "Hey, well, you didn't win the popular vote." He said, "Hey, if I thought that 
it was a popular vote thing, then I would have spent more time in the cities. I would have spent more time in a heavily dense population. But I realized that I need to get the whole country behind me. And so I, 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 I campaign in that way. It, to me, it doesn't make a difference. It would just be a different strategy. You know, you still have to reach the people that are going to be the most influential. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think that there's um, kind of a pattern here. If you think about it on the Supreme Court, we're thinking of, you know, who's the swing vote. Right. Um, and then here, you know, who are the swing voters? And then as far as um, people in different political parties and things of that nature, uh, we have the independent. So there's your, you know, there's your swing. And so it's someone who's kind of thinking and not just towing the party line right. on either side. Um, and so they're thinking. And I mean, that's not a bad thing to be uh, to be a thinker. And again, uh, uh, it would go back to their standard on what they're making their decisions based on. You know, I don't know if it's like, you know, you know, put, licking their finger and putting up to the wind and seeing which way the political wind is blowing, you know, that particular day. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense that, uh, you know, that we definitely care about, who, you know, who's going to swing and the vote. swing states, they change. All, they change from time to time. Like uh, California uh, used to be a Republican state, I think, until like 19, 1988. And then Texas used to be a Democratic state. And so those states are, are changing. And, and Texas right now is purple. Austin. <laughs> yeah, I mean because because they have they have a lar- they have a large liberal cities and then a, a large rural you know greater Texas that's 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 Republican and and so it can change and I, so I think it's a beautiful part of the process that 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 can happen. Um, I I do want to do a little dig on, on on Phil. I there is also a joke in the political world that independent knew was coming. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that 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 yeah, independents are 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 fair weather. That no one's really independent. It's it's some people just say they are, so they they can seem like they're more, deeper thinkers. But I think a lot of people, like once again, if if your major one issue or your major three four issues is something, there's not really a there's no you're gonna vote one way, regardless of how all these other things fall down. If you're if you're pro life or or, or pro abortion, you're gonna kind of toe the party line regardless of what the the smaller issues are not not all the time not in every respect but i do think some people are independent but when it, it push comes to shove they they vote one way i think dylan's well, gonna I, object here I, all right here we, here we uh, come dylan I, i'm now i'm getting now i'm getting all, all heated here i see the steam coming off of the I, glow I, on your look, head think about what washington said right he said avoid political parties uh, because people are are getting pigeonholed, people are not thinking for themselves, and they're getting pigeonholed into these parties. Uh, which, by the way, right? When was the last time you've seen any of these parties put forth a moderate, uh, a moderate uh, candidate, or, or a really moderate candidate? I, not in my lifetime, because because a moderate candidate will not get the funding from those parties, and it's the funding. I mean, how many how many halfway decent candidates? Or decent candidates, you know, drop out of the race because of funding. It's it's a lot of it has to do with with the super PACs and money that these these politicians are getting. Which, you know, at one point in my life, really made me jaded towards politics. I said, well, if the money is really what's what's controlling these elections, then I'm I'm just going to throw my hands up and give up. Dylan, you know that's why I never entered politics because of the money. <laughs> didn't have it (laughs) that's the only reason brother (laughs) i don't have time to be a politician on top of everything else but keep going brother now that's the beauty of it and i think i think it's important that we 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 always give off the impression that christians always agree on everything in in totality it's that's not true and i think like i said i love dylan we would disagree a little bit on some issues but i think we, we that's why we want to do stop and think about it we want to have a robust opinions on things you want to get some clarity but we all agree but we also uh, there we, we allow for leniency I, I want to make this is like a debate style i want to make one small minor adjustment a point with what he said i agree with uh, dylan tremendously but as a history you history teacher you would know that that was washington's philosophy and he stacked his his um uh, cabinet that way and it literally created parties yeah 
because he had Jefferson and he had um, Hamilton and they were like at war from the very beginning and it didn't work for him. But I do agree that that is one of the drawbacks. I think that that's unarguable. And I, and I do agree with you on that standpoint, but it's, it's, it's what kind of has evolved. Um, maybe there's a better system that can come later on, but it, it, it does eliminate a lot of the moderates. It does eliminate um, kind of reaching the center and it has created a kind of a, disparate separation where one country seems like it's complete one part of the country seems like it's living in a completely different country than the other side. Right. It's very polarizing. And, and I agree with you. Maybe it, maybe it is just the, the natural factioning of people where people just side with factions and they side with factions that they think they're going, that are going to win. I love this quote that Abraham Lincoln said, and I think it rings as true today as it did when he said it. The, he the said second, the philosophy... Hold on one second. The second best president, right? According to Trump. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. And 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 the Bible and uh, his book, um, The Art of the Deal, is the second best book next to the Bible. <laughs> according to Trump, we got to we got to put the disclaimer there. That's right. According to Trump. <laughs> so. Abraham Lincoln said the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. And mm. I was talking to um, an, an older believer recently, and he said, you know, I, I blame my generation a lot for these riots and, and looting on the street because, you know, um, it's a lot of the philosophy of the hippie movement. Um, and they're rioting and they're protesting during the Vietnam War and everything like that. Uh, free love that, you know, that is being used now as steam for what we see in our streets um, here in our cities with all the unrest. He said, it's it's really the same thing. It's just another issue. And so I was like, wow, you know, yeah, you are to blame. Thanks a lot. No, I didn't say that to him. <laughs> but um, I mean, really, what is coming out of our uh, educational system and especially our colleges, whatever the liberal professors believe, and that's what we have a lot of in this day and age, a lot of liberal professors, their thinking is spewed out onto students and they're not thinking for themselves. They're just thinking the thoughts of the professors after them and taking those thoughts and going out into the world and living out those philosophies and those thoughts. And I think that's what we see all around us. That's why if you, instead of just challenging someone on what they're saying, if you ask them a question and try to unpack what they're actually saying, it creates one for realistic dialogue. It's human to human dialogue that, okay, I'm going to listen to you. And then will you then be quiet so you can listen to me and let's have a back and forth dialogue like two normal people. And, um, and don't just come, you know, and, and fire off talking points from your professor, you know, like how can we come together and reason together? And I think so much of that is lost, especially with so many keyboard theologians, keyboard politicians and keyboard philosophers. Everybody is so perhaps many people are very unkind on the other side of a computer screen because they can just blast other people, but they would never say those same things if they were looking to that person in the face. Dylan, your thoughts. Um, so, yeah, the name kind of eludes me right now, but there was that professor from Yale University whose um, you know, students started to try to uh, shout him down. And instead of having a dialogue with him, uh, it, it's something his wife said uh, and students disagreed with him. And uh, basically they wanted to cancel, cancel culture for him. Um, and they were demanding his job without actually engaging in dialogue because they felt what he said was offensive. Um, but you and I know that like uh, people are going to get offended uh, at what we say. You know, does that necessarily mean that you should be canceled uh, or fired from your job somehow? Wait, er, what is cancel culture? Because this is a phrase we hear all the time, and maybe some of our listeners don't know actually what it means. Cancel culture is basically uh, if uh, some people decide that you have offended them or that you said something, you know, it could be even many, many years ago that 
uh, is is offensive that you, like many years later, should face the repercussions for that. And instead of uh, being able to explain yourself, instead of having dialogue, instead of even justifying your thoughts or your beliefs about that, they want you to lose your job. They basically want your life to be ruined. Yeah, so they pull down statues. That's why no more Aunt Jemima, Uncle Ben yeah. out the window, yeah, yeah. and you know, so on and so forth. That's why AOC said, um, you know, don't uh, th- she wants to boycott Goya because they he visited the president and he didn't hate him, right? Or or or, or Chick Fil A, right? Taking their taking their stance, uh, their anti uh, gay marriage stance, uh, which hey it's it's a stance right is is they will say you are bigots you are bigots for not believing that instead of actually engaging in dialogue and they want chick-fil-a to not be a, a company anymore and you know what their chicken's delicious and i'm going to continue to eat their chicken and and, and phil i hope you're <laughs> wrong about uncle ben because that's that's the only rice i eat so that's going to be a problem better stockpile brother <laughs> better stockpile on uncle ben yeah and, and i think look in cancel culture like i give you a quick example there was there was an incident where uh a lady i think her name was karen because it's called a karen moment now i don't want to explain what that means but she was in the 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 park in central park and i guess in an area where you're supposed to le- put a leash on a dog and she wasn't put a, put she didn't put the leash on a dog and a and a gentleman a black gentleman was um uh telling her to put a leash on the dog and she said she's gonna call the cops on him and he started recording it and you know long story short i guess she came off as being a little racist and it basically everyone they, she lost her job she she lost her part it was like a whole crescendo that came down on her and I was having a, a dinner, uh, a work function, and one of the people, you know, a good friend, a good colleague of mine said, yeah, I'm so glad she lost her job. And I was just like, her misstep or misstatement or whatever the incident was, that means she should not be able to work, her livelihood's gone. And I think that's one of the, we, I want to get it real, because this, this is a real effect on people's lives, and it's not just canceling them necessarily from the the chat group. It it, it has consequences to people's lives. There was a, a basketball owner who, yeah, he was reprehensible in, in his in his words about a, a relationship he had with a, a young lady, but he lost his franchise, <laughs> you know, and, and I just don't know how far you want to take it where you Dylan and I disagree. And that means he should get fired from his job. I, just, I think it's a very reprehensible thing. And the thing is, like, you think of like in society, what are these high crimes that people are being guilty of? You're you're saying, right, we are against racist remarks because we want to be loving to all people, right? That's basically what you're standing for. But at the same time, instead of loving that person and uh, hopefully engaging in conversation with them so that they grow, right? Uh, you are saying, I-, I don't love you at all. I want to ruin your life forever because of a, a racist remark that you made. Assuming, assuming it, it's essentially like, you know, in, in the scriptures of Jesus, you know, saying he, he who cast the first stone, you know, come step forward. And and uh, and and one by one, they like put their stones down because at every point, people have been harmful and in, in, in like saying um, messed up things and, and wicked things. And so you know, th- except this one just went viral, right? This one is just on a social media platform because everyone has a camera and everyone could post something on the internet. You know, again, it goes back to standards, and it, it keeps going back to standards. So, in other words, what is the most heinous sin? Does society decide what that right. is, right? Or does God say what that is? And so, you know, we have, if you look down anyone's ancestry, you're going to find one common denominator. You're going to find a legacy of sin, mm-hmm. a trail of sin. Um, there was the trail of tears. This is the trail of sin. And so, you know, um, there are people who say, you know, this is the absolute uh, worst thing in the world. Thou shall not be racist. And so, um, right. You know, High crime. People, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But then it's okay to rob and loot and steal. So that's okay uh, to ruin someone's livelihood, someone that had nothing to do with anything. Um, and then all of a sudden you ruin their livelihood because you demand that you can 
break into the, their store because you need a new Rolex watch for reparations. <laughs> it's just not biblical right. and it's not godly and it's not moral. Um, it's not anything good. And while we're on the subject of, of sin and standards, I mean, if, if you apply those same standards to um, the founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, uh, oh boy! Why aren't people tearing? Why aren't people canceling her? Why aren't people tearing down those statues? I don't think there's any statues for her, but why aren't people doing that? She was a high racist, and she wanted to uh, diminish the population of black people in the United States, uh, which is why, yeah. which is why she set up Planned Parenthood in the first place. There actually is a statue of Margaret Sanger in Manhattan. Yeah, I'm not saying that we should go around tearing down uh those statues either or her statue um but what i am trying to point out is the hypocrisy of those politics and the cancel culture um yeah yeah Yeah, that's true you know margaret sanger um martin luther king jr was like a serial adulterer you know i'm not saying you should tear down anybody's statues you shouldn't tear down something that doesn't belong to you but you know point blank but yeah i agree there is definitely a hypocrisy to all of these things so glenn um we were discussing in the past you know about god's sovereignty and i just want to pose this to dylan um how does this whole thing work god is sovereign and yet here we're voting for national and local leaders and politicians. Um, how do you as a believer, you're a history teacher, you're a Christian, uh, how does all of this come together with you theologically? Really good question. I believe that God is sovereign over both the ends and the means. I really want my, my daughters to come to know the Lord and be saved. But it doesn't mean I just sit there and do nothing. It means, you know, I have devotions with them. I, I try to teach them because I, t- I teach them the Bible because uh, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. And so in the same, in the same thread, God is sovereign o- over the ends and the means. So I trust in him. I trust that whatever the outcome is, that uh, he chose right, that uh, both he everything is within his control and everything he does is correct and everything he does is both to uh, both for our good as as believers and christians and i also believe that uh we are we are to be good stewards of what god has given to us and so i can vote based on my biblical worldview based on my conscience informed and whatever the outcome is, I know that God's God is right in that outcome, and whatever happens. And so, uh, I don't just sit sit that bit by there and do nothing. Uh, just like that analogy of like, I want my daughters to become saved, and and salvation is of the Lord, right? I I don't have like I I have nothing to do with her salvation, but at the same time, I could teach them the Word of God, and that's like my role, and that's what God has commanded me to do. Uh, he's sovereign both o- over those means as well. And so I get involved in politics. I talk to people. I try to question my students to get them to think. And uh, I also want to inform myself and others of of, of candidates and their policies and, and, and basically history and government. But I also trust the Lord. The Lord, is, is he, will, he is sovereign over all those things. Yeah, he raises them up and he puts them down. And Dylan, I, look, thank you for being with us. I mean, I finally thank have someone to check Phil's wild, you know, he just goes off on a tangent. So it's <laughs> really glad for you to check him, you know, you're welcome anytime. Thank you so much. I feel like I'm standing on the shoulders of giants here. Uh, <laughs> but actually, I really, I, I really feel like the, you know, the last kid kicked in kickball, you know, or, or there's like, we got to throw it, we got to throw in someone off the bench, like the third string quarterback, you know, like throw him in here. Uh, so I, I really uh, love your podcast. And uh, I really think it's, it's glorifying to God. It's, it's not only countercultural, but it's, it's really glorifying to God because it points to the gospel. Uh, even when we're talking about a worldly institution um, and systems of government, 
uh, that's imperfect, right? We know that God is is working through them to save people, and that's what we that's what we declare the gospel. So you guys are doing a great job. Keep up the good work. Amen. Well, uh, thank you, Dylan. Thank you for bringing your uh, your expertise to the table. Uh, to the Stop and Think About It podcast. If you want to check out some of Dylan's sermons, you certainly can. Dylan McKeon, you type in his name uh, or go to sermonaudio.com. You type in his name and you can hear some of his sermons. So uh, we're trying to groom him to continue to preach the gospel um, as well. And so he is a man that wears many hats. I'd like to give the Apostle Paul the last word. Does anybody object to that? Okay. None opposed? All right, here we go. (laughs) Here's what... um, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. And so I love that because we ought to be praying for our leaders, right? They don't just need our ridicules, although sometimes we give them. They need our gospel, Mm. They need our prayers. Uh, They need us to shine the light of Christ in the communities that they serve. And as we have opportunity, one heart at a time, let's bring the gospel because the best way to see someone, for instance, turn from uh, 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 pro-abortion to pro-life is to reach them with the gospel. And when God changes a heart, God just changed a worldview God just changed a vote Mm. and God just changed the way that that person will live and operate in their lives um, from, from there on forward. And so our hope ultimately is not in politicians, although we are involved in the political process, our hope is in this one mediator between God and man. And that's really what we need. We need Christ and we need his gospel. Well, in closing a quick infomercial, The Gospel-Centered Family Virtual Conference is upon us. November 10th through the 13th is now open for registration. Speakers include Scott Brown, President of Church and Family, Mark Spence of Living Waters, Pastor Carlton McLeod of Calvary Reformation Church, and yours truly, Phil Sessa, a.k.a. the Bronx Expositor. Early registration is $15, and you could sign up at soulfishingministries.org. Saints and Sinners, Friends and foes, we want to thank you and all of our listeners as you take this time to stop and think about it. If you would like to contact us, please email us at stopandthinkcrew at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at www.stopandthinkpodcast.com. This podcast is listener supported by generous people like you. You can give a tax-deductible donation at our affiliate ministry at www.soulfishingministries.org and click on our donate link to give securely through PayPal. Thank you for listening to Stop and Think About It.